This message is made available by the partners and friends of Breakthrough Miracle Life. Catch our live broadcast every Wednesday and Sunday on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and on internet radio at mixlr.com forward slash B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-U. Last year, we around the time when uh, things were going quite crazy in America and in Europe with the COVID situation, the Lord spoke to us. And the, where he took us, he took us to Genesis 22, where he talks about Isaac, and Isaac stowed in that land. It was a time of famine, and yet that was the time that God chose to work very powerfully by telling, uh, by telling Isaac to stay in the land in spite of the famine. Isaac had wanted to do what his father Abraham did. Because when his father Abraham experienced a famine, he went to Egypt. He wanted to do the same thing. But in his case, when he wanted to go, the Lord told him, stay. And the Bible says of Isaac, and he sold in that land, and that same year he received a hundredfold. During that season last year, the Lord spoke to us and he told us, when they say there is a casting down, we shall say there is a lifting up. We listened to that word. Many in breakthrough listened to that word. Many got new jobs. Many got promotions. Many got things turning around, some started businesses, things changed for many. Well, I want to tell you something very interesting. I was amazed and surprised when this week as I was asking the Lord, what what is the word that I must share? He said, you need to tell them once again, it is Kairos time. Now, let me tell you, in the midst of all that's happening, People are dying every day in Uganda right now. I know in the U.S. numbers have dropped. But now in Uganda, Uganda is experiencing what the U.S. was experiencing, you know, last year, around this time and even earlier. But right now, in the midst when people are dying, when the nation is, is, you know, is in a lockdown, but instead... The Lord is saying, it's Kairos time. I said to myself, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? And um, the question I began to ask, I said, Lord, how can you be saying that right now? And there's something the Lord spoke to me. And he told me, Noah, in the midst of all of this, you cannot put your eyes and your focus on the works of the devil. You need to put your eyes and your focus on what I am doing. We need to understand, first of all, something. Sickness and death are not works of God. The Bible says it very clearly. The enemy comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Now, once we understand that, that tells us something very powerful. That we need to understand. God is not the author of death and sickness. The devil is. Because of what the enemy did right from the beginning and what he did to cause Adam to fall, sickness and death came into the world. It is not of God. Now, so we need to understand that in a time like this, You know, because sometimes people would want us to keep focusing on sick people. There are those who are dying, and this and this and this is going on. And let me tell you, we feel it. Don't be fooled, we feel it. We just are, we are just as human as you are. We can feel the, the, we can feel the anxiety. We can feel what's going on. We, we are concerned like anyone else. However, We also are spiritual beings. And we must tune in to what God is doing. We must tune in to heaven and what heaven is saying to us in this time. Because if we focus only on what the devil is doing, we will miss what the instructions God has for us in order to reap at the end of the season. When I was sharing last Sunday, and I was talking about what you know, what God is going to be doing in this season, and how new opportunities are going to come out of this. 
I had a number of messages written to me. There are some people who, in, who have already tapped into this. And, um, you know, one friend wrote to me and said, in an amazing thing, he found himself, he even said it himself, he said, I found myself in a high-level position in a big organization. He wasn't expecting it. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't planning for it. Yet he finds himself in it. In, he even called it a twist. Even he was blown away. And I mean, when we talk high level, we're talking a very big multinational organization with lots, you know, of course, it comes with lots of pay, lots of privileges, and everything can just happen to him. Boom! Just as lockdown was beginning. Another person wrote to me, and, uh, and they were sharing what's happening at their workplace. How suddenly they were nominated to be one of just, I think, four people to represent the whole, the whole continent of Africa. From just at a very, a very big international level. I don't want to mention the organization so that some, you know, for, for reason of privacy. And this person not only is, repre is representing Africa in this and giving advice on policy decisions that, on, on, on things that will determine policy decisions for a whole, you know, for how many international donors are going to spend money in Africa. But this person is, is going to be attending these international meetings and paid a lot of money for attending the meetings on top of her usual pay, which is, we, and this person got this job that she's in during the last lockdown. You see, God is on the move, child of God. I want you to understand that we are once again in Kairos time. For those who don't know what Kairos means, Kairos is the time when God moves. Kairos is a season when God is moving. We are once again in Kairos time. And I don't want you, child of God, to miss what God is doing in this season. Don't get so caught up in what the enemy is doing that you miss what God is doing. Don't get so focused on what the devil is doing all around you that you fail to tap into what God is doing in this time and in this season. Don't get so caught up in all the things around you. The Bible says, a thousand shall fall, ten thousand at my right hand, but what? It shall not come nigh me. So what does that mean? You keep on. You don't get paralyzed because of what the enemy is doing. No, this is the time. If ever there's been a time for you to tap into what God is doing, it is now. Now is the time, child of God. Now is the time, child of God, to tap into it. To tap into what God is doing. To connect into what God is doing. Now is the time. And it is important not to miss this season. And that's why I want to remind you, I want to remind all of us in Breakthrough. Last week the Lord spoke to us very clearly. I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly and He told me to ask all of us to do an extra 19 days. Today would have been the last day of our 21 day fast and the Lord told me, tell them to fast 19 more days so that we make 40 days. And I know there are some of you who are thinking, man, I have struggled already in these 21 days. It has been tight. You know, there's those of you who are looking forward to eating a hearty meal at the end of the day today. But I want to tell you, child of God, do not be like Esau. Do not sell your birthright for a plate of lentils, for a plate of food. Do not sell your birthright. Do not miss the timing of God. Do not allow the enemy. Do not allow the weakness of your flesh. Do not allow the weakness of your body to cause you to miss the timing of God and what He is doing. I believe very strongly that God telling us to fast in this season is not because we are calling on Him and saying, Lord, save us. Lord, deliver us. We are dying everywhere. No, you are protected. You are protected. The power of God is surrounding you. He has commanded his angels concerning you. 
So that's not, that's not the purpose of our fasting. No, we are positioning ourselves for what God is about to do. And let me tell you, what are we positioning ourselves for? We are positioning ourselves both in the spirit and also in the natural. There are things God is going to do in the natural. That's why I spoke of new jobs. That's why I spoke of promotions. That's why I spoke of you know, new businesses, new ideas. Those are coming. But let me tell you, there is also a spiritual promotion coming. There is a spiritual promotion coming your way too. God wants to take you to another level in Him in this time. He wants you to go to another level in Him in this time. And I am beseeching you, child of God, do not miss what God is doing in this time. Tap into it. Those of you who are just hearing this for the first time, you can join us today. You can join us in this time of this season of fasting and prayer today. Just make a choice and say, I'm joining you. We're fasting on fluids. That means we don't eat at all until the end of the fast. But um, we'll be taking, you know, we're, we're allowed to every couple of days you can take a salad, you know. And when we say the salad, we don't mean a potato salad or, you know, cassava and those things. No, it's a salad. That means green leaves, you know, cabbage. Uh, carrot, some tomatoes, you know, a coleslaw of sorts. It, a light thing just to help your digestive system flush out anything. But, you know, nothing heavy. Just a light green stuff only. Hallelujah. But I want to urge you, there are some of you I know you're tempted, you're probably saying, ah, no, I think these remaining 19 days, maybe I'll do 12 hours. Don't downgrade the first child of God. Do not downgrade. We've received an instruction. Stay on the instruction God has given us. Stay on the instruction God has given us. Do not create your own instructions. Partial obedience is as good as total disobedience. Saul obeyed partially. God told him, well, go and destroy the Amalekites. Everything, said even their animals, everyone, kill all of them. But you know what? Here is the amazing part. When Saul went and killed the Amalekites and everything, he left some of the animals and said he was going to sacrifice to God. And here is what Samuel told him. He told him disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. told him rebellion is like witchcraft. But Saul, if we were to measure in percentages, he had obeyed 90%. Perhaps even we could say 95%. Because he killed as he was told. The only person that was left was Agag and his family. And, and the animals, which he said now, the choicest animals, we are going to sacrifice them. And yet God told him, you've now completely lost the kingdom. Because I gave you an instruction and you failed to keep the instruction. Child of God. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of your miracle in this time. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of your opportunity at this time. Do not allow the enemy to steal from you at this time. Stand firm. Let me tell you, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said that grace is available. The grace is available. In fact, you know what's interesting is that Breakthrough Houston is also fasting. Because we, we recognize there is something powerful happening at this time. And we must tap into it. And that's why you realize that it's not about the lockdown. It's not about the surge. Because there would be no reason for Breakthrough, you know, for breakthrough in the USA to be fasting when they're not experiencing the same. No, but what we've recognized is that there is a spiritual timing that is happening. And we must tap into it. So I come today to exhort you. I come today to encourage you. Do not miss out on what God is doing. Do not miss out on what God is doing. God is doing something powerful. God is doing something awesome. We, and we must position ourselves. And you see, we need to understand something about fasting. 
Fasting doesn't move God. I don't know which theology you've had, but I'll tell you something. Fasting does not move God. God remains on his throne. He remains seated on the throne. Fasting is for you. Fasting helps you. Fasting positions you. In fact, what fasting does is to position you where you can receive what God has released. Fasting works on your flesh. It subjugates your flesh so that your spirit is strong and you can tune into heaven and receive what God is saying and hear the instructions he has. Receive ideas that he's dropping from heaven. That's why I want to spend, I've spent a few minutes just now just trying to encourage you. Don't miss this. Don't miss what God is doing. I felt very strongly as I, as I was preparing, as I've been seeking God and saying, Lord, what do you want to say? And I was asking myself, what, do you, should I be preaching this weekend? He said, you need to, because I want you to emphasize it. I am doing something new. I'm doing something new. I am doing something new. God is doing something new. Let me tell you something. When they say there is a casting down, we shall say there is a lifting up. This whole time now is for you. Everything that's going on now, God is turning things around to prepare a ground for you, child of God, for every believer who will prepare themselves and be ready to receive. God, in these seasons, He is preparing places for many of you. You see, what you've got to understand is that when the world is crying calamity, that is the time when God is promoting his own. When the world is crying, things are bad, things are going wrong, we need, oh, what shall we do? That is the time when you, child of God, that's the time when God is telling you to say a different thing. When they are crying destruction, you don't join them in crying destruction. You speak something else. You speak faith. You speak life. That's what God wants of you in this season, child of God. That's what he wants of us in this season right now. So let me tell you, we are not going to cry like those who have no hope. Neither are we going to wail like those who have no faith. Now, are there loved ones that have gone? Yes. I'm very, I was saddened to hear that my friend, Bishop Stephen Selfuma, passed away. He's an amazing man of God. Very amazing man. You know, I'd never seen such humility and simplicity from someone who is very well recognized, has been in the ministry for a long time, um, has built a ministry from scratch to such levels. Yet the first time I met him, he was preaching on something and then he used some examples and said a few things that I did agree with. We, we, we were at the same church that day. He preached in the morning service. As pre he preached in the first service. I was preaching in the second service. I came early, so I found him still preaching. And I listened. And there were some things he said I didn't agree with. And after the service, in that little gap, you know, between services, because I had to be in the second service as the preacher for that one, I asked him, I said, you know, you said this, this, and this, but what I know is this, this, and this, and this. I think there is an error here, here, and here. And he said, I'm rushing somewhere, but I want to hear more. Here is my number. Give me a call. I gave him a call the next day. I gave him a call not expecting much. I had thought, you know, because I thought maybe he was, you know, brushing me off. And he picked up immediately, spoke to me, said, Yes, I remember you. Can you please come to my office? Can we meet? And I made time. I went down to his office to meet him. I got there. There were people waiting for him. But when they told him I had come, he said, Oh, I need to see that gentleman, that young man. It was a number of years ago. I was quite young, actually. And I walked in. And he said, Yeah, yesterday you mentioned something. Tell me. And so I began to explain to him, I said, I heard you say this and this, but what I know of it is this, this, and this, and this, and I think here and here. And he listened to me, and he said, hmm, 
Amazing. Then he looked and he said, you know I have a gathering um, every end of year. Will you be around in December? I said, yeah, I'll actually be in the country in December. He said, can you come preach for me at that gathering? I was shocked. And I, you know, that December I showed up. It was end of year, New Year's, whatever. Um, those overnights of the New Year. And I shared. I got there. I was treated very well. He welcomed me, you know. I got to preach and something blew my mind about him because he he told me he told me something powerful you know I mean I had been I preached and you know when you're a young preacher you you tend to preach all a whole mountain of scriptures and so I had a 30 minute session but in that 30 minutes Somehow I quoted 25 scriptures in 30 minutes while preaching a sermon. Here's the thing that blew my mind and showed me his reverence for the word. He told me, I am so amazed. I counted how many scriptures you quoted. You quoted 25 scriptures. I've written all of them down. He said, I, I love it when people love the word. When their sermons are full of the word. When they are so He said, you need to come to the church and preach again. I thought, you know, sometimes you, you know, when you've dealt with many types of ministers and preachers, sometimes you think they're just telling you things after you're done, you know, to make you feel good. But I was amazed when he followed up and called again and said, when are you coming? So I went and ministered. And another time, and he said, every time you come into the country, please call me. I will make time for you to minister. Unfortunately, you know, my trips, many of the times subsequently when I would come, my trips would be so busy. I would be so caught up. And I would fail to, you know, link up with him or, you know, I would link up with him when I'm almost about to leave. So I was saddened, you know, to hear he'd gone. I had prayed and believed God, you know, that he would give him more time. Then I watched a video of him talking about death and how he was looking forward to death. And I said, here is a man who understands and totally understood the hope of our calling. So I'll tell you this, are we sad that a man of God is gone? Yes, for us who are left here, because he had a great impact on the kingdom. And not only him, but others. I saw, you know, Bishop Bakashaba, the couple of other men of God that have been going in this season. And sometimes as a man of God, you're thinking, God, what are you up to? You're taking so many giants right now, you know. Sometimes you even want to ask, am I missing something? But, at the same time, while his servants are going home, we must remember that for us, believers, death is but a beginning. For him, if anything, we can say death is swallowed up in victory. For us, you know, yes, we will be sad that he's not with us anymore. Yes, we will miss his counsel, we will miss his ministry, we will miss his impact on the kingdom here and on its advancement here. But at the same time, we know that where he is is in a better place. We know that he is rejoicing. He is in the hands of the Lord whom he served so faithfully. And we also know we will see him again. And let me tell you, once we understand that, everything changes. The way we approach things changes. So yes, we mourn with them that mourn. But we don't lose sight of the fact that God is doing something new in this time. There is something God is doing. And we must not get so caught up in everything else in the storm the enemy is staring about that we miss you see i want us to look at the par at what happened not the parable but the story because it's something that happened jesus gets into the boat and he tells them let us go to the other side when they are in the midst what happened? A storm arose and Jesus was asleep in the boat. 
and the storm rages and the disciples get frightened and they wake Jesus up saying, Master, don't you care that we perish? First of all, I think about how tired Jesus must have been that the boat is rocking and rocking and being shaken by waves and is fast asleep. But Jesus stands up. Of course, he tells them, Oh, you little faith, and rebukes them for their unbelief. Then he commands the wind and the waves, and they calm down. Well, I want you to think about this. They were already on their journey when the storm started. God was already at work when COVID started. And God doesn't interrupt what he's doing because the enemy has started a storm. He already knows he's going, you are going to arrive at the other side. And that's what he's focused on. In another instance, he sends them ahead by boat. And for him, he remained on the mountain praying. Then at night, when they are struggling, Against the wind and the waves, he comes to them walking on the water. I want you to think about it. But there's something amazing that happens, you know. There's, of course, what happens with Peter and everything. But it says when he entered the boat, they immediately arrived where they were going. When he entered the boat, immediately they arrived. That other one always amazes me. Because I want you to think, yes, we often talk about Peter and he says, if it is you, tell me to come, bid me to come. And he comes, then he looks at the waves and he begins to sink. Jesus, you know, picks him up. They walk back together into the boat. He says, and the moment they entered the boat, it immediately arrived. There is a storm happening. But the answer is for Jesus to enter your boat. Because once he does, you're going to arrive immediately. Immediately, they arrived. Immediately, they arrived. Let me get you this so that you can see it. Hallelujah. We'll start from... um, And when everyone was now come from verse 16, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. Hallelujah. Jesus had not come to them. Let me read from uh, something easier to understand, the New Living Translation. That evening Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, but as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified but he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. I want you to see that part. It's, in fact, I like the way the um, King James puts it. It says, then they willingly received him into the ship and immediately was the ship was at the land whither they went. They willingly received him and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. I want to tell you today, God wants you to make a conscious decision to willingly receive him into your boat. And the delays you've been suffering, the things that have been holding you back from arriving, all of them are suddenly going to melt away. Because it says, they willingly received him and immediately. One of the things we need to understand is the Bible tells us that they had rode about, you know, three or four miles. 
They were not yet there. They were halfway when the storm happened and Jesus comes to them. Yet here is the interesting thing. The moment he enters, they are immediately translocated from where they are to to their destination. The moment Jesus entered, they are translocated from where they are to their destination. Now I've not come to talk about teleportation today. I haven't come to to tell you God's going to start teleporting you. But what I have come to tell you is that when you will, if you will willingly receive Jesus into your boat, He is going to accelerate you to where you're meant to go. That what has been keeping you is that you have not yet willingly received Him. Some people are probably saying, but what do you mean, Pastor? Let me tell you something. Over this season, there's something God has been speaking to me. One night I was praying, I was sitting and I was praying in the night. And the Lord, I said, Lord, I need your help. I feel like things are not moving. I feel like I should be much further than I am now. I, I, I feel strongly like I'm missing something. There's somewhere I'm meant to be that I have not yet reached. I feel like there's something missing. I said, Lord, speak to me. That was about um, maybe two weeks ago. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said to me, Noah, it's because you've come from the place of surrender to the place of commitment. He told me, Noah, you have gone from the place of surrender and gone backwards to the place of commitment. You need to come back to the place of total surrender. I said, huh? It was shocking to hear. It was something that blew my mind to hear. And I began to ask myself, what's the difference between commitment and surrender? Let me tell you something very interesting about commitment and surrender. When you have breakfast, bacon and eggs, the chicken was committed, the pig was surrendered. Yeah. What we need to understand about the about commitment and surrender in this time and in this season is God is telling us we must surrender to him. Why? Why did we say you know the chicken just gave its eggs, the pig had to die for it to have bacon? God is calling us to a place of dying. Complete death. Dying to self. Dying to our ideas. Dying to our dreams. Dying. You see, one of the things we need to understand is over time, we've learned how to call people to a commitment to Christ instead of calling them to a surrender to Christ. Even our altar calls have changed. We tell people, will you make a commitment to Christ today? Will you make a commitment to follow Him? That's not what we are called to. We are meant to call them to a place of surrender. Will you surrender your life to him today? Will you give it all to him today? In fact, our old altar calls used to be about, will you surrender to God? Today we tell people to commit to God. The problem with commitment is you remain in control. When someone says they are committing to something, they remain in control. Let me give you an example. You can make a commitment and say, I'm going to be in the choir. But then, you know, if there is a, if there happens to be, you know, when you have made a commitment, you're still in control of your commitment. So when they tell you, you know, um, it is your sister's introduction ceremony, you will tell the choir leader, you know what, next week I have my sister's introduction ceremony, I'm sorry, I won't make it. If there comes up something and, uh, you know, maybe uh, there's, there's a function in the family, you will say, I'm sorry, I can't make it, this is going on. If you get a guest from, you know, who's visiting you, maybe who you've not seen in a long time, and, you, and you're thinking they're around for only this weekend, I need to take them, you know, I need to take them here and there, maybe I'm going to take them to Ginger, I'm going to take them to the, uh, to, you know, to the park, I'm taking them somewhere, you're going to say, well, I need to communicate it that this weekend I'm going to be unavailable. 
Because you made a commitment and you are in control of your commitment. On the other hand, if you are surrendered, you don't make commitments. Mm -mm. You hear an instruction and God tells you, I want you to serve in the choir. And you simply say, yes, Lord. How much do you want me to serve? When you are surrendered and something comes up, you don't say, um, I'm, going, I'm sorry, I won't be. You go to the Lord and you're like, Lord, this came up. Where do you want me to be? And he tells you, I told you to be. And you tell them, guys, I'm sorry. Um, I have a commitment. Actually, there I am using that word again. I'm sorry, my Lord instructed me to serve at this. I will only be able to come after I am done serving. Because you are surrendered. Because you are surrendered. That's why you see that the scripture does not allow us that kind of leeway. Today's Christian only allows God control to a certain extent. We only let him up to a certain level. But God has called us to a place where he, we, we don't come and say, Lord, I am, you know, uh, whatever, you know, as you say. No, we come and you say, I'm yours. Whatever you say, whenever you say it, wherever I should go, that's it. You are my Lord. I am totally surrendered to you. And that's something you have to do willingly. You have to say, I am willingly receiving you into my boat. I am willingly allowing you to take charge. I am making a choice to be your slave. When Paul writes in Titus and he calls himself a slave of Christ, the word he uses is dolos. The Greek word used there is dolos. Which is different from the commonly used word for slave. Dolos is someone who is born a slave. Because you see, there was a difference between those who were born into slavery and those who were captured into slavery. Because when the Romans would capture you in battle, then you were captured and you were sold into slavery. You were previously free to do your own stuff. Now you are sold into slavery. You are not willing. On the other hand, a dolos is someone who was born into slavery. They don't know anything else. They've never, the, 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 the option of, of freedom has never even been there. Paul uses dolos deliberately. One who is a captive could be freed. But one who is a born slave was going to be a slave the rest of their life. They were born into slavery because their parent was a slave too. That's why it's important to hear the scriptures speak and tell us and say, you've been born again. We are called to come to that place. You see, we've gotten so accustomed to hearing about our authority, our position, who we are in Christ, that we have forgotten our relationship with God. What our authority and our position is relates with how we relate to the world and to the devil and to what is outside there. But it doesn't relate to how we relate with God. With God, He is our Lord. How do we know? Look at Jesus. It says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before, submitted Himself even unto death on the cross. Jesus never used to have debates with God. What God said is what happened. He is in the garden. Let me tell you, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. Jesus did not want to go through that pain. How do we know? The Bible says he prayed, he sweated, his sweat was like blood. How do we know that he really didn't want to go through it? Because he told God, and the Bible records his words. He says, Father, If it is possible, remove this cup from me. He did not want to suffer. 
He was human like you and me. He did not want to go through pain. Then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the place we are being called to. If we want to tap into what God wants to do in this time and in this season, if we want to grasp the spiritual promotion that God is calling us to, we need to make a decision and say, Lord, I'm surrendered. I'm yours. I was sitting. I remember I had sat on a beanbag. It was around 3 a.m. Sitting on a beanbag. And I, I just opened my mouth and I said, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want. Whenever you want it. Wherever you want me. I'm yours. I said, Lord, and even if I pray something contrary to your will, please ignore my prayers. If I ask for something you don't want me to have, please don't give it to me. Whatever I am choosing to be a hundred percent surrendered to you. If you tell me I don't want you to be involved in that, even if I have invested all of myself and all of my resources, I will drop it the moment you say so. Even if you tell me that something that I know is going to destroy my reputation and make a fool of me, but you are saying it, I am ready and I am willing, I am sold out to you and to what you are saying and to your will. Child of God, that's where God is calling us. And that's where we need to be in order for us to walk into this Kairos season and tap into what God is doing and walk in the fullness of it. There is an example I love to use all the time because it spoke to me so many years ago and still speaks to me up to today. You have a little girl Esther, a young, young woman, Esther, she's been taken from her home. She's been put under the charge of the king's eunuch, Hegai, along with all these other beautiful girls. In fact, I tend to speculate and say they must have held beauty contests in every town and then the winners are the ones they took to the king because you can't collect all the beautiful girls. There would have been too many. They had to have some way of picking the most beautiful girl from everywhere and saying now, the finalists are the ones who have gone to the palace and then the king will choose among them who the final finalist is, who he will make queen. So here is Esther with all of these people. And here is a, a very, why for me this is an example of how we are meant to be. It says, when a girl's turn would come to go in to the king, she was allowed to take anything that she wanted for her time with the king. Do you hear that? She was allowed to take anything that she wanted. However, when Esther's turn came, the scripture says she took nothing except what Hegai, the eunuch in charge of the king's harem, told her to take. She had access to the entire royal treasury. She had access to every, you know, whatever treasure there is. Diamond necklace, uh, uh, sapphire studded earrings, crystal uh, heels, um, you know, whatever it is, she had access. They could go in with anything. And you know, Esther wasn't the first one to go in. Others went in. I'm sure they asked for everything they felt would accentuate them and make them the most attractive so they can win the king's favor. But, here is the interesting thing. That Esther takes nothing except what Hegai says. This is where you see wisdom. Esther
Esther understood something very profound. Haggai, as the man in charge of the king's harem, knew what the tests of the king are. Haggai, as the eunuch in charge of the king's harem, had seen girls come and go. He'd seen which ones got favor and which ones did not. He'd been in charge long enough to know where the king's desires are. And Esther decided, I am going to completely trust. I may have my ideas about what colors make me look good. I may have my ideas about which earrings might accentuate my ears nicely. I may have my ideas about which necklace will bring out my bosom perfectly, you know. I may have my ideas, you know, about my height and which height of heel will, you know, bring me to just that correct height I've wanted. I may have my ideas about which, you know, uh, which head I should put on my face to, uh, that makes me come out best. But this man is the one who runs the harem. He knows what works for the king. He knows what turns the king. What, what, what will draw his favor. So she took nothing except what Haggai recommended. She also understood something. She was a village girl. She was an orphan. What does she know about what true beauty is and what, what, how beauty is measured in the courts of kings? She's never been in the courts of kings. She was not a princess. She had no clue. She was better off trusting one who spends all his time in the palace and has an idea of which things work and which things don't work. They'd collected all these girls from all the provinces. There were a bunch of village girls that they brought. They, they sank in perfume and water until they beautified them and made them better and then allowed them to go into the king. But Esther allowed the keeper of the women to train her. He, she allowed the keeper of the women to tell her how she should behave, how she should handle herself, and also how she should dress and what she should look like. So much so that she won favor in the eyes of all those who looked upon her. When she went into the king, the king took one look, picked the diadem, and put it on her head. Child of God, the head guy for you and I is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit. He will not speak of himself, but he will take of what is mine and reveal it unto you. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. No one knows the heart of God like his own spirit. No one knows the heart of Jesus like the very spirit that dwells in him. It is this same spirit that was with the Father and with the Son at the beginning. God says, and the spirit hovered upon the waters. He knows the will and plans and the purposes of God beyond anything you can imagine. He knows the perfect will of God. He is your Haggai. And the secret to finding favor in the sight of the king, the secret to ending up with the diadem on your head, with the position of preeminence, is to surrender yourself to that Holy Spirit and tell him, I will take nothing except what you tell me to take. I don't want more than you tell me to have, and I don't want less than you tell me to have. I, only what you have said, that's enough for me, because you know. You know the heart of the Father. The idea for our salvation, the idea, the most important thing, that's why you see that the scripture tells us that the blessing of Abraham is the Holy Spirit. Who? That's why the Bible says that the, upon the Jews, the blessing of Abraham shall come upon the Gentiles. 
And he says, that is the Holy Spirit. When we hear about Abraham, when we hear, you know, about the wealth he had, many of us, when we hear, the, when we think the blessing of Abraham, we think camels and sheep and, you know, and servants and everything. No, it is the Holy Spirit. Child of God. It is what? The Holy Spirit. Nothing else. And God is telling us in this season and in this time, if we want to really come to the place of promotion that he has for us, if we want to enter into the place that he has prepared for us, let us trust his eunuch. Let us trust the one who is in charge of us. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. He, the Holy Spirit, is the keeper of the harem. Of course, the whole body is the bride of Christ. But using this analogy, I want us to get it. That he is calling us to the place of total surrender. That's why he says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. We need to remember something. People always say, I'm coming to the altar. I used to love that song by Elevation. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. But let me tell you something. And I still love that song, by the way. But we must always remember something. The altar is a place of death. Every animal that came to the altar came to die. No animal was ever placed on the altar and it did not die. The altar is a place of death. So when you come to the altar, you have come to die. When you come to the altar, you have come to die. To die to yourself. To die to your plans. To die to your desires. To die to your ambitions. To die to your pleasures. To die to everything that you thought makes you you. And you just say, Lord, you've called me to die. So that I may just be what you want me to be. For more information, call or WhatsApp 704 89